listening to the Mystical City of God in a Year podcast. I'm Father Edward Looney, and throughout the year I'm reading and reflecting on the four volumes over 2,500-page work by the Venerable Maria of Agreda. And if you would like to discuss today's readings, I invite you to head over to Facebook and find the Mystical City of God in a Year podcast group, where you'll be able to interact and share your own thoughts and insights with others who are following along. Let us now thank God for the life of Venerable Maria of Agreda. Almighty God, you will that all people know the saving power of Jesus' name. Throughout time, you have sent missionaries to your people who proclaim the good news. We thank you for sending Sor Maria to the Humano people and planting the seeds of the gospel in their heart and in our land. She taught them the good news and prepared them for baptism. We look to her example in holy life and wish to be taught by her today. Sor Maria, teach us how to pray and meditate. Teach us how to imitate the virtues of Our Lady. Teach us the mysteries of our faith. Almighty God, stir a flame in our hearts the same missionary fervor of Sor Maria, so we may be as emboldened as she was to proclaim the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, God, forever and ever. Amen. Today is day number 210. And we are reading from Volume 3, Book 5, Chapter 24, Paragraphs 263 to 273. Chapter 24. Our Savior Jesus Christ goes to the banks of the Jordan where he is baptized by St. John. St. John himself then asks to be baptized by the Savior. 263. Leaving his beloved mother in the poor dwelling at Nazareth, our Redeemer, without accompaniment of any human creature, but altogether taken up with the exercise of his most ardent charity, pursued his journey to the Jordan, where, in the neighborhood of a town called Bethany, otherwise called Betharaba, on the farther side of the river, his precursor was preaching and baptizing. At the same time from the house, our Redeemer, raising his eyes to the Eternal Father, offered up to him anew with an infinite love whatever he was now about to begin for the salvation of mankind. His labors, sorrows, passion, and death of the cross assumed for them an obedience to the eternal will, the natural grief at parting as a true and loving son from his mother, and at leaving her sweet company, which for twenty-nine years he had now enjoyed. The Lord of all creation walked alone without show and ostentation of human retinue. The Supreme King of Kings and Lord of Lords, Apocalypse 19.16, was unknown and despised by his own vassals, vassals so much his own that they owed their life and preservation entirely to him. His royal outfit was nothing but the utmost poverty and destitution. 264. As the evangelists have passed over in silence the doings of our Savior during his early years and so many other circumstances of his life, which were most real and most worthy of our attention, and since our gross forgetfulness is so much accustomed to pass over unnoticed what has not been written, therefore we examine and consider so little the immensity of his blessings and of his measureless love, by which he has enriched us so much and has sought us to bind us to him with so many bonds of charity. Hosea 11.4 O eternal love of the only begotten of the Father! O delight and life of my soul! 
How little known and much less acknowledged is thy most burning love. Why, O Lord, and sweet love of my soul, why dost thou exhibit so many artifices of love, so many watchings and sufferings for those whom thou needest not, and who will neither correspond nor attend to thy favors, nor any more than if they had been offered but deceit or buffoonery? O hearts of men, more rude and fierce than that of wild hearts, what has hardened you so? What detains you? What oppresses you, and makes you so sluggish that you will not allow thankfully in the ways of your benefactor? O lamentable illusion and aberration of the human understanding! What mortal lethargy has come over it? Who has blotted out from its memory such infallible truths and such memorable benefits, and even thy own true happiness? Are we of flesh, and have we our senses? Who has made us more hard and insensible than are the rocks and stony mountain heights? Why do we not wake up and recover some of our sensibility at sight of the benefits of our redemption? At the words of a prophet, the dead bones came to life and moved about. Ezekiel 37.10 But we resist the words and exertions of him who gives life and being to all. So defective is our earthly love, so great our forgetfulness. 2.65 Accept me then, O Lord, and light of my soul, accept this vile wormlet of the earth which creeps along in order to meet thy beautiful footsteps now begun in search of me. By them thou reignest me to the certain hope of finding in thee the truth, the way, and the delights of eternal life. I possess nothing wherewith to repay thee, my beloved, except thy own goodness and love, and the being which through them thou hast given me. Less than thy own self cannot be paid for thy infinite bounty thou hast shown to me. Thirsting after thy love, I go to meet thee on the way. Do not, O my Lord and Master, take away or deprive her of the vision of thy clemency whom in her poverty thou hast sought so diligently and lovingly. Life of my soul and soul of my life, as I have not been so fortunate as to merit to see thee bodily in this life and in that blessed age of thy earthly life, let me at least be a daughter of the Holy Church. Let me be a part of this, thy mystical body and thy congregation of thy faithful. In this life, so full of dangers, in this frail flesh, in these times of calamity and tribulations, do I live. But I cry out from its profound depths. I sigh from the bottom of my heart for thy infinite merits, that I shall share them. I have the assurance of faith, the spur of hope, and the claims of holy charity." Look down, then, upon thy humble slave, in order to make me more thankful for such great blessings, meek of heart, constant in love, and entirely conformable and pleasing to thy holy will. 2.66 While proceeding on this way to the Jordan, our Savior dispensed his ancient mercies by relieving the necessities of body and soul in many of those whom he encountered at different places. 
Yet this was always done in secret, for before his baptism he gave no public token of his divine power and his exalted office. Before appearing at the Jordan, he filled the hearts of St. John with new light and joy, which changed and elevated his soul. Perceiving these new workings of grace within himself, he reflected upon them full of wonder, saying, What mystery is this? What presentiments of happiness? From the moment when I recognized the presence of my Lord in the womb of my mother, I have not felt such stirring of my soul as now. Is it possible that he is now happily come, or that the Savior of the world is now near me? Upon this enlightenment of the Baptist followed an intellectual vision, wherein he perceived with greater clearness the mystery of the hypostatic union of the person of the Word with the humanity and other mysteries of the redemption. In the fullness of this intellectual light he gave the testimonies which are recorded by St. John in his Gospel and which occurred while the Lord was in the desert and afterwards, when he returned to the banks of the Jordan. The evangelist mentions one of these public testimonies as happening as the interpellation of the Jews and the other when the precursor exclaimed, Behold the Lamb of God, as I shall narrate later on. Although the Baptist had been instructed in great mysteries when he was commanded to go forth to preach and baptize, yet all of them were manifested to him anew, and with greater clearness and abundance on this occasion. And he was then notified by the Savior of the world that he was coming to be baptized. 267. The Lord then joined the multitude and asked the baptism of St. John as one of the rest. The Baptist knew him and falling at his feet hesitated, saying, I have need of being baptized, and thou, Lord, askest baptism of me, as is recorded by St. Matthew. But the Savior answered, Suffer it to be so now, for so it becometh us to fulfill all justice. Matthew 3.14 By thus hesitating to baptize Christ the Lord and asking him for baptism instead, he gave evidence that he recognized him as the true Redeemer. And there is no contradiction between this and what St. John records of the Baptist as saying to the Jews, And I knew him not. But he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He upon whom thou shalt see the Spirit descending and remaining, he it is that baptizeth with the Holy Ghost. And I saw and I gave testimony that this is the Son of God. John 1, 33-34 There is also no contradiction between these words of St. John and those of St. Matthew. For the testimony of heaven and the voice of the Eternal Father over Christ on the banks of the Jordan happened when the precursor had the vision mentioned in the preceding paragraph. Hence he had not seen Christ bodily until then, and could therefore deny having known Christ at least in the same way as he then knew him. For just because he knew Christ then both by sight and by intellectual vision, he prostrated himself at the feet of the Savior. 268. When St. John had finished baptizing our Lord, the heavens opened, and the Holy Ghost descended visibly in the form of a dove upon his head, and the voice of his father was heard, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Matthew 3.17. Many of the bystanders heard this voice, namely, those who were not unworthy of such a wonderful favor. They also saw the Holy Ghost descending upon the Savior. This was the most convincing proof which could ever be given of the divinity of the Savior, 
as well on the part of the Father, who acknowledged him as his Son, as also in regard to the nature of the testimony given. For without any reserve was Christ manifested as the true God, equal to his eternal Father in substance and in perfection. The Father himself wished to be the first to testify to the divinity of Christ, in order that by virtue of his testimony all the other witnesses might be ratified. There was also another mystery in the voice of the Eternal Father. It was, as it were, a restoration of the honor of his Son before the world and a recompense for his having thus humiliated himself by receiving the baptism of the remission of sins. Though he was entirely free from fault and never could have upon him the guilt of sin. Hebrews 7.26 This act of humiliation in receiving baptism in the company of those who were sinners, Christ our Redeemer, offered up to the Eternal Father as an act of acknowledgement of the inferiority of his human nature, which in common with all the rest of the children of men he had derived from Adam. By it, he also instituted the sacrament of baptism, which was to wash away the sins of the world through his merits. By thus humiliating himself in this baptism of sins, he sought and obtained from the Eternal Father a general pardon for all those who were to receive it. He freed them from the power of the demon and of sin and regenerated them to a new existence. Spiritual and supernatural as adopted sons of the Most High, brethren of their Redeemer and Lord. The past, present, and future sins of men, always remaining in the sight of the Eternal Father, had prevented the effects of this baptism. But Christ our Lord merited the application of this so easy and delightful remedy, so that the Eternal Father was obliged to accept injustice as a complete satisfaction according to all the requirements of his equity. Christ was also not deterred from thus, securing this remedy by his foreknowledge of the abuse of the holy baptism by so many mortals in all ages, and of its neglect by innumerable others. All these impediments and hindrances Christ our Lord removed by satisfying for their offenses, humiliating himself and assuming the form of a sinner in his baptism. Romans 8.3 This is the meaning of the words, Suffer to be so now, for so it becometh us to fulfill all justice. Then, in order to honor the incarnate word and in recompense for his humiliation, and in order to approve of baptism and establish its wonderful efficacy, the Eternal Father gave forth his voice and the Holy Ghost descended. Thus was Christ proclaimed by the true Son of God, and all three persons of the Holy Trinity ratified the sacramental rite of baptism. 270. The great Baptist was the one who reaped the greatest fruit from these wonders of holy baptism, for he not only baptized his Redeemer and Master, saw the Holy Ghost and the celestial light descending upon the Lord together with innumerable angels, heard the voice of the Father, and saw many other mysteries by divine revelation. But besides all this, he himself was baptized by the Redeemer. The Gospel indeed says no more than that he asked for it, but at the same time it also does not say that it was denied him. For without a doubt Christ, after his own baptism, conferred it also on his precursor in baptism. For without a doubt Christ, after his own baptism, conferred it also on his precursor and baptist. It was he that instituted the sacrament afterwards, as he made it a general law and enjoined the public ministration of it upon the apostles after the resurrection. 
as I shall relate later on, as it was also of the Lord who baptized his most holy mother before its general promulgation. And he, on that occasion, established the form in which baptism was to be administered. These facts were made known to me, and also that St. John was the first fruit of the baptism of Christ our Lord, and of the new church, which he founded in this sacrament. Through it, the Baptist received the character of a Christian together with a great plenitude of grace, since he had not upon him original sin. For he had been justified by the Redeemer before he was born, as he said it in his place. By the answer of the Savior, suffered to be so now, that all justice be fulfilled. He did not refuse, but he deferred St. John's baptism until he himself should have been baptized and have fulfilled the requirements of God's justice. Immediately after his own baptism, he baptized St. John, gave him his blessing, and betook himself to the desert. 271. Let us return now to the main subject of this history, namely to the occupations of our great queen and lady. As soon as her most holy son was baptized, although she knew by the divine light of his movements, the holy angels who had attended upon their Lord brought her intelligence of all that had happened at the Jordan. They were those that carried the ensigns or shields of the Passion of the Savior, as described in the first part. To celebrate all these mysteries of Christ's baptism and the public proclamation of his divinity, the most prudent mother composed new hymns and canticles of praise and of incomparable thanksgiving to the Most High and to the Incarnate Word. All his actions of humility and prayers she imitated, exerting herself by many acts of her own to accompany and follow him in all of them. With ardent charity she interceded for men that they might profit by the sacrament of baptism and that it might be administered all over the world. In addition to these prayers and hymns of thanksgiving, she asked the heavenly courtiers to help her in magnifying her most holy son, for having thus humiliated himself in receiving baptism at the hands of one of the creatures. Instruction which the Queen of Heaven, Most Holy Mary, gave me. 272. My daughter, since in recounting to thee the works of my most holy son, I so often remind thee how thankfully I appreciated them. Thou canst understand how pleasing to the Most High is the faithful correspondence on thy part and the great mysteries of his blessings connected with it. Thou art poor in the house of the Lord, a sinner, insignificant and useless as dust. Yet I ask thee to assume the duty of rendering ceaseless thanks for all that the Incarnate Word has done for the sons of Adam and for establishing the holy and immaculate, the powerful and perfect law for their salvation. Especially, Shouldst thou be thankful for the institution of baptism by which he frees men from the tyranny of the devil, fills them with grace, clothes them with justice, and assists them to sin no more. This is indeed a duty incumbent upon all men in common. But since creatures neglect it almost entirely, I enjoy thee to give thanks for all of them, as if thou alone wert responsible for them. Thou art bound to the Lord for all other things to special thankfulness." because he has shown himself so generous to none among other nations as he was with thee. In the foundation of his holy law and of his sacraments thou were present in his memory. He called and chose thee as a daughter of his church, proposing to nourish thee by his own blood with infinite love. 273. If the author of grace, my most holy son, is a prudent and wise artificer, 
in order to found his evangelical church and lay its first foundations in the sacrament of baptism, humiliated himself, prayed and fulfilled all justice, acknowledging the inferiority of his human nature. And if thou, at the same time, God and man, he hesitated not to lower himself to the nothingness of which his pure soul was created and his human being formed, how much must thou humiliate thyself, who has committed sins and art less than the dust and despicable ashes? Confess that in justice thou meritest only punishment. The persecution and wrath of all the creatures that none of the mortals who has offended his creator and redeemer can say in truth that any injustice or offense is done to thee. If all the tribulations and afflictions of the world from its beginning to its end were to fall upon them. Since all sinned in Adam, 1 Corinthians 15:22, how deeply should they humiliate themselves when the hand of the Lord visits them? Job 19:21. If thou should suffer all the afflictions of men with the utmost resignation, and at the same time wouldst fulfill all that I enjoin upon thee by my teachings and exhortations, which the greatest fidelity thou nevertheless must esteem thyself as a useless and profitable servant. Luke 17.10 How much then must thou humiliate thyself, when thou failest so much in thy duty, and in the return due to all the blessings received from God? As I desire thee to make a proper return both for thyself and for others, think well how much thou art obliged to annihilate thyself to the very dust, not offering any resistance, nor ever being satisfied until the Most High received thee as his daughter, and accept thee as such in his own presence, and in the celestial vision of the triumphant Jerusalem. This concludes our reading for day number 210. We've been reading from Volume 3, Book 5, Chapter 24, Paragraphs 263 to 273. There are a few things for us to mention here in our reflection based on chapter 24. I think the very first thing we look at is the fact that yet this was always done in secret. For before his baptism, he gave no public token of his divine power and his exalted office. So here we are, Jesus beginning his public ministry, and what we hear in this reading, is that everything that he did in those hidden years, he never did it to be honored by the public. He did it simply for God. He didn't do it to spread it to other people. But now we are inaugurating something new. His public ministry is beginning and everything is going to impact everyone. And we'll see that unfold through his public ministry. We also heard that John the Baptist had not seen Christ bodily until this baptism and could therefore deny having known Christ at least in the same way as he then knew him. For just because he knew Christ then both by sight and by intellectual vision, he prostrated himself at the feet of the Savior. What we hear in this passage is the very fact that John the Baptist knew Jesus from the womb, but they never had those playdates as I referenced earlier in a reflection. That when Jesus presents himself for baptism, this is one of the very first encounters of 
the Christ with John the Baptist. Maybe they had other interactions through their angels. We heard that. John the Baptist sends the angels to adore Jesus on his behalf. But here we have Jesus knowing who John is because Jesus is God. He knows all things. He's omniscient. And so thus begins his public ministry. John then recognizing the one who he knew in the womb. John, the one who is preparing the way for the Christ, and he realizes it. And what did our heading today tell us as we read chapter 24? St. John himself then asks to be baptized by the Savior. He felt unworthy himself to baptize the Savior of the world, but he did so because he requested it. But it would only seem right for John the Baptist to then say to Jesus, Can you baptize me? And that's what happens as we heard in our reading today. The baptism of Jesus is only the beginning, and now we'll hear so much more. Many of these familiar stories of the public ministry of Jesus. I'm Father Edward Looney, and throughout the year I'm reading and reflecting on the mystical city of God. I'm grateful you joined me today, and I hope you'll join me again tomorrow. Until then, may God bless you, and Mary pray for you.